Juan, I have a question for you. Hit me. What is the worst movie you ever paid for to go see in a movie theater? Oh my god, I saw this thing on Twitter, and I was trying to think about it. I did not see this on Twitter because I may not be still on a Twitter sabbatical, but I don't really swing by. <laughs> but I do want to know, not something you went for for a screening, not something that you got sort of coaxed into watching by a friend. I mean, you plunked down your however many dollars a movie is in the States, and... You just watched a real piece of shit. Oh my god, that's so hard. Um, I mean, also, like, this is not a test. You can just there's no right or wrong answer. No, I know. I have like two movies in my head that I could cite for this, and uh, okay, the first one I've done a complete like 180 on. Um, I think it's oh, like a near masterpiece at this point. But I was also I think like 13 at the time I saw it and paid for it, and I almost fell asleep uh, from like sheer anger. Uh, okay. Uh, and it was uh, M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. Aha. Uh-huh. I hated okay, that movie sure. when it came out. I loathed it. Um, but I guess it's, I mean, it's, uh, nowadays I think it's excellent. But um, <laughs> I'm, okay, so I think I would say, and I had an okay time at the movie itself because of the fact of I was, um, I was with the guy. No, I was on a date. Um, okay. With my boyfriend at the time, and he, um, we ended up doing things uh, that I will not specifically state. Were uh, they of a sexual nature? Yeah. Um, okay. Because of we were gonna fucking kill ourselves in that movie if we didn't do something. But it was okay. um, <laughs> it was Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> I will go with that. And, like, I've rewatched it later on, and I still think it's an awful movie. But it does that movie have is some, not like... as bad as everyone says it is. Well, it's like, everyone says it's bad for the reasons it's not bad. Which is what bothers... Like, the things that people complain about, like, the fucking, like, him getting in a fridge and, like, the explosion. Like, that's all the good stuff. It's just people are wrong about that. But whatever. That's... That is apparently the movie I'm choosing because I can't think of anything else off the top of my head that was, like, an unpleasant experience. <laughs> um, I've got two as well. Hit me. They were both, like, within the same month or so. In the summer of 2007, so I'm in college. Okay. And I'm back home, uh, and I'm going to the movie theater the next town over because that movie theater had four screens and the one that we had in my hometown only had one. Mm-hmm. So you drive to 30 minutes to the four screen uh, cineplex or whatever. And I saw within, I paid money to go see uh, Evan Almighty with Steve Carell, which was not a very good movie. Oh no, I'm sorry. And I also paid money to go see Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Oh honey. With my own money. (laughs) I did that too and I forgot about that. Oh uh, summer 2007, I had a rough time with the movies because I saw two of the worst movies I've ever seen and paid a combined, like, 25 bucks Canadian. Oh, my God. I'll definitely side <laughs> with see them. you. I'll definitely side with you on Fantastic Four. Actually, I just remembered another awful... This one was a fully awful experience. It was The Strangers. I fucking hate The Strangers, number one, as a film. Number two, it was one of the worst cinematic movie-going experiences I've ever had in my life because it was, like, a packed like mall screening of this movie that I paid to go see and then there were a bunch of people who snuck in and paid for different movies so like I was literally sitting on top of one of my friends 
because there were not enough seats for everyone, and it was fucking atrocious, and I hated that movie. The movie was a pretty decent hit and made $82 million on a $9 million budget. <laughs> I'm sure it did. I hate that movie. A lot of Liv shitty Tyler. movies make good money. A lot of shitty movies make good money, and sometimes underappreciated movies make a little money. Yeah. So welcome to episode 36 of Stuck in the Middle with You, a podcast where two guys take a look at a critically divisive film and see on what side of the consensus they fall on. My name is Derek Gade, and joining me on this on this most joyous of days is my friend and collaborator, Juan Barkeen. Say hi, Juan. How's it going, everybody? Oh, but it's a beautiful sunny day out there in Montreal. I don't wow, know what the temperature is in Miami. It's fucking miserable. It's been raining all weekend. <laughs> Ah, yes, the duality of temperatures. Love it. Much like the duality of tones that we are going to be dealing with uh, in this movie that we've both watched for the pod. (laughs) Uh, It's a sunny day in Montreal, and it's a stormy day in uh, Miami. Oh, God. Because I had a whole other thing set up for if it was a sunny day in Miami as well, and how it was a perfect day to talk about this fucked up movie from like a decade ago. Well, it's a rainy day, so I guess it is kind of perfect anyway. Uh, what movie am I referring to, though, Juan? What movie are we watching? Or what movie did we watch? We watched and are discussing uh, yes. Jody Hill's Observe and Report. That is correct. From the year of our Lord, 2009. That was when so, I graduated uh, high school. Congratulations, JB. <laughs> I'm a child. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so we're actually getting way, way ahead of the uh, of the uh, unavoidable 10th year anniversary pieces because Jody Hill is still very much a a, uh, a known quantity uh, as the uh, one of the creative forces behind uh, HBO's Eastbound and Down and Vice Principals. And he's got another movie coming out on Netflix, which sounds like... Uh, the killing of a sacred deer but is not a killing the killing of a sacred deer because that's a yorgos lanthimos movie <laughs> a hella good yorgos lanthimos movie but no it is called the legacy of a white-tailed deer hunter ah that's what it is so um but we're going to go back to not quite the very beginning the very beginning is a under budgeted underseen little movie called the foot fist way starring uh jody hill muse danny mcbride who i understand you have uh, mixed feelings on I I don't know. I just so uh, I don't find him as amusing as everybody else seems to. Is okay. my problem, I guess. I just I don't know. Sometimes I think he's super fucking grating, and then other times I'm like, "Oh, I can kind of see why people like you." How was he an alien? I know he was like had a bit part in that. He was fine in Alien. Everyone's fine in Alien Covenant. Everyone's like a disposable being except for Michael Fassbender in Alien Covenant. So that's it's like an unfair example. Everyone's a hunk of flesh except for the one character who is not a hunk of flesh. Yeah, literally. Quite literally. Mm. Quite literally. <laughs> um, but uh, we're not here specifically to talk about uh, Mr. McBride. Uh, we are talking about a movie whose mileage may vary wildly. Yeah. Depending um, on your sensibilities. I think so. And I mean, I like just looking at my Letterboxd ratings from like friends, it's it goes from like five star masterpiece to like one star hated it. It's like very, very all over the board, like with like twos, threes, fours in between. It's well, you know, I mean, it is a divisive film. That's kind yes. of what we trade in on this show. What do you mean? Uh, 50 percent? <laughs> That's crazy. 50 percent right on the nose. We are getting way ahead of ourselves. Juan, what the hell is Observe and Report about? 
Uh-oh. And this is a very key question because when I first saw this as a young lad in 2009, I was 21 and I was expecting like a Seth Rogen fart comedy. And that is not what I got. Not at all. Um, so please elaborate on what this is about. Uh, so Seth Rogen is uh, Ronnie Barnhart. He's a mm-hmm. mall security guard. And he basically takes it upon himself to be the Batman to um, a Joker who is just a pervert who is running around showing everyone his dick. Um, yes, a flasher. Yeah, it's literally just a flasher. Um, and so basically the whole movie revolves around him and his sort of day-to-day activities, partially in dealing with the flasher, partially in just, like, being a complete fucking narcissist who doesn't know his... (laughs) Um, I mean, like, it's like, doesn't know his limitations, doesn't have much self-awareness, Slowly but surely, it reveals other things about him that I will discuss later. And um, just trying to get shit done, I guess. Oh, so also finding out who's, like, robbing the mall, who's doing this, who's doing that. Also, uh, key to a couple of the events in the film, courting, uh, what's it, a, a makeup counter worker. Oh, yeah, Anna he's Ferris. trying to bang Anna Ferris. Who is magnificent in this, by the way. Consistently underserved, but always overperforming Anna Faris. Honestly. Given the dregs of the comedy landscape and weaves it into gold. She really... Well, it's like... And, like, I'm going to go on a tangent about Anna Faris because I want to get this out of the way as quickly as possible. I think, like... Sure thing. Anna Faris is a comedic genius, first of all. Um, <laughs> like, like, if we look back at, like... The, the early to mid the early to late 2000s like I am consistently fascinated by her work it's like she has the scary movies which mm-hmm. I think she's excellent in regardless of whether or not they themselves are very good because um, she's like the Leslie Nielsen in them she plays it yeah. entirely straight yeah and like it's excellently done uh, she has Gregoraki's smiley face, which I think is a modern masterpiece that people overlook constantly. You referred to uh, Observe and Report as like a film Twitter favorite. I think uh, Smiley Face might be an oh, actual Smiley Face literal is definitely a film Twitter film favorite. Twitter favorite. Yeah, for sure. I keep seeing it crop cropping up as like like a very very underappreciated comedy from our first decade of this millennium. I think it is. I mean, I think partially it was like its budget, its release, its everything, but um. The, I've seen hmm. zero Gregoraki movies. Oh my god, you absolutely should. He's an excellent filmmaker. Even when he's not that good, he's interesting. Um, but his, her last movie I would cite is uh, The House Bunny, which I think she is mm-hmm. magnificent in. And I think people do a, like underrate it a little bit, even though it's like quoted and loved a fair amount. Um, but like after that, it's like... She's taken, like, either bit roles or just, like, her starring roles haven't been that good. And I don't know. I mean, it's like, it's like, girl, what did Chris Pratt do to you? It's like... <laughs> She's got her podcast. Too, she does, is which is such a good podcast. Uh, that would be Anna Ferris is unqualified for those interested. Yeah. I just... It's like a new movie just came out with her, which is uh, the remake of Overboard. And it's like, I don't know. I actually think had they not gender switched... She would have made a perfect uh, Goldie Hawn. Like, she's she's the latest in, like, this tradition of, to coin a phrase, smart, dumb blondes. Yes. Who kind of flip and twist and invert the dumb blonde stereotype. This goes back, like, you know, a century. Yeah. And she's, like, 
the latest in that line. You know, Goldie Hawn was part of that lineage too. Absolutely. I just wish we appreciated her more. I wish we appreciated all of our like smart dumb blondes more, but that's a whole different story. That's a whole other thing for probably a whole other different podcast. Yeah. What are your thoughts on Observe and Report? It plays a lot better the second time around. Yeah, I'm sure. Because this movie's kind of like deeply unpleasant in parts and kind of shocking. Yeah. Which you're not anticipating when you're just trying when in the year of Paul Blart Mall Cop you expect kind of like a like I said before a Seth Rogen fart comedy and what you get is like what you get is Travis Bickle Mall Cop instead. Yeah. <laughs> like I um, think um who uh, Nathan Smith uh, Nathan Smith yeah, yeah Paul Blart Taxi Driver. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which like yeah not wrong at all. <laughs> Not wrong at all. Parts of this movie are deeply unpleasant. It's kind of shocking that this movie got released as is. Yeah. Because there's, oh man, there's the deeply, deeply upsetting scene with, uh, uh, shit. Uh, it's there's so there's so much shit to consider. Which bit? <laughs> oh man. It's like let's jump in and dissect each scene because I've got a lot of thoughts. Uh <laughs> Well, I I sadly don't have notes at the ready, but you do. So maybe you can like be the oarsman on this one. Um I mean no. Well, tell me which which one you're ta- which one were you okay. thinking of initially? There's a few. There's the the big one that pops out in me is the uh the sex scene, if you can call it that. Oh, yeah. Between uh, Seth Rogen and Anna Faris. Yes. <laughs> which is like oh my god okay shit well it's like that and uh, like because <laughs> i feel it's like a perfect encapsulation of theme yes in one striking unpleasant image yes absolutely so here's this guy he is like the hammer of god basically and he wants what's coming to him and what's coming to him is you know the girl and by extension sex with the girl even though there's red flag after red flag after red flag after red flag. Still, it happens. And it's just kind of a startling moment of like, oh, Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. Well, because the way it happens is, one, she's completely wasted out of her mind on... She's uh, wasted out of her mind. Like, on pills and booze pills liquor and she was coerced into that date in the first place yes second she literally throws up outside of her house and then he makes out with her because he's in this fantasy world where like nothing it's like one Uh, he's off his meds or no he's not off his meds he had just taken one at the which yeah so it's on prefacing this um he uh, okay the the movie explains that he has bpd and he is taking medication for it, and then he gets off his medication, and then things escalate. They escalate after the date rape, basically. Yeah. <laughs> after the date rape, because he literally, like, is fucking her in the bed, and she's just, like, lying there. She's conked out. Yeah. I mean, she, I mean, in, like, the darkest joke of the film, she, like, comes to and and basically eggs him on. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. And he, and he apologizes as he resumes. It's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, man. Yeah. God, this movie is very thorny. <laughs> so, um... In French, we have an expression called uh, rire jaune, which is literally laughing yellow, which is basically uncomfortable laughter or cringe laughter. And this movie is like 90% that. Because, mm-hmm. sure, you're, there's like, you know, apatovian jokes, if you will, 
in this film, mm-hmm. but they're all subsumed by this darkness that's not in, or at least not in to that level in other Apatovian films. Because mm-hmm. I think it's fair to call this movie Apatovian. Well, I don't know if that's... I don't think it is. Um, okay. I guess maybe because I like, I don't think it follows. It necessarily follows the beats of an Avatoian film where it's just like. Well, because it's just, it's kind of a subversion, is or it? an inversion. I feel it's a it's a tight ninety minutes. It's dark as shit. It's still very funny. But I don't I don't know. I guess I feel like we're lumping it into like the Avatar bunch because of the fact that it like it came out during the same time period it has similar casting choices um but i don't think i mean i think like i hate to say apatow goes about looking into human flaws in a very different manner and i think Mm -hmm. his beats are very different even though i think this shares stuff like minor bits of sense of humor with some of his works but i don't think i would call it Apatavian. <laughs> you, you like that? I hate Apatovian? saying that. I hate saying that. Uh, but you know what it means. That's the yes, thing. I do. Uh, I think I think those bits are enough. Those are the hooks that Jody Hill hangs his darkness on. I feel. That's I fair. think there's enough of the. I think there's enough of those hooks to make it like a satellite member of that sort of run of movies. I think this, but I do agree with you that it is its own beast that it uh, contends with the darkness in its own. Well, way. I think it almost has spite, like it's, like it's spiteful towards Apatow's films almost because I would in agree. an Apatow film, he would have learned to become a better person. Well, you don't learn to get better from BPD. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean, right? Yeah, he would have like, you know, tried to like take, tried to, he would have tried to take steps. Yeah, but there's no, there's no character growth. No, there's not. The arc of the character is that he gets his mall security job back. That's basically it. Yeah, the arc is keep being the person you're being, and it's like <laughs> shit will work out. The arc is that we are surrounded by failed, angry police officers, and we should be always afraid. <laughs> yes, that too. The um, whole police angle is really strong I, and has only gotten stronger in the last decade, I feel. Obviously, I mean, we're obviously looking at this movie through the 2018 lens. Um, mm-hmm. It's like there are constant, constant shootings. There are constant, like, white men are literally entitled and murdering people left and right. And obviously the police system is... It's like we've discussed this with Maniac Cop. Uh, the police mm-hmm. system is... A failure, uh, <laughs> so to speak. I want to bracket out one scene in particular. Ray Liotta's in this movie. Who is great in this? So by fucking the way. good in this. Ray Liotta, consummate pro. And who else are you gonna get to be your fucking like dickhead cop, right? Yeah. So Ray Liotta is the actual police officer, the actual detective assigned to figuring out this string of robberies and flashings. And he's always getting sort of you know undercut by Seth Rogen because he thinks he knows better because of course he does. Mm-hmm. So Seth Rogen's character decides to join the police academy. And as part of that, there's a ride-along program. But instead of like waiting for like the official okay, he just kind of sneaks into Ray Liotta's car and explains to him, well, you're kind of stuck with me, so fuck you. Yeah. So what Ray Liotta does is he brings him way, like, way out of the way and basically just drops him on a, on a corner. Basically leaves him for dead. Like, he's going to get shot or hurt. Or the, the idea is it's a dangerous corner that he used to patrol. Mm-hmm. There's a whole altercation, uh, which is alternately very funny and very kind of 
alarming. Yeah. He beats the shit out of everyone there because he's got like a fucking nightstick in his sock. Because of course he does. Mm-hmm. Might as well have been a gun, right? Yeah. And whips the shit out of everyone and like brings brings in a child that tried to sell him crack to the police station. But before he gets in there, he's Ray Liotta is just jawing with his coworkers, talking about, I left this motherfucker for dead and you would have two because he fucking sucks. Burger, burger. And it's a callousness that's played for laughs. <laughs> but you can very easily imagine that being a real conversation. Oh yeah, absolutely. So, okay. I'm glad you brought up that scene because that is one of the many scenes. Well, that I think is where my problems with the movie actually began. I don't buy the heightened reality that this movie exists in. Okay. If that. How so? I I think all of those sequences of like essentially like the violent sequences I think are too exaggerated for their own good. I understand that it's trying to make a point. There mm-hmm. is some kind of commentary going on. I don't mm-hmm. think Jody Hill is as good as he thinks he is at delivering that commentary. I think like I don't know, like, the way the movie exists in this heightened reality, between that scene, the other scene with, um, with like, Ronnie and the cops fighting, and, like, beating the shit uh-huh. out of each other in a way that seems, like, one, incredibly excessive, and two, uh-huh. almost too out of place. I don't know, like, I think it could be an interesting commentary on the way police treat mentally ill people, but it's also, like, I don't think it is because we've been conditioned to think of Ronnie as like not that for literally over an hour and i just like i think those two levels of the movie the one where it's like a funny movie stuck in this like sad reality doesn't totally mesh with the hyper violent it's not even hyper violent it's just like those like aestheticized violence moments i don't think they flow as well together as the movie thinks they do. I like that it has these moments of excessiveness. And it's uh, through something I like to call the Tenacious D's first album method. Mm-hmm. Because I think the All Music Guide review of Tenacious D's first album addressed fan complaints that, oh, it's a full band, it's electric, what the fuck? I mean, this is the idea is that it's two guys with guitars singing these fucking songs, right? But the review stated, this is how tenacious they hear themselves in their heads. I get that. I don't and think the I movie... Feel, I feel like these moments of out-of-character badassery in the film work because they are sort of an externalization of how Ronnie perceives himself. That's fair. I just don't think the movie does a good enough job at... If you're going to externalize those thoughts do it better. I don't know. I don't think that like <laughs> do it better. Jody Hill. I hate to blame the editing, but I think that's part of it. Um, I don't think like this is a magnificently edited movie. Uh, some of the cuts are really good, but um, also I don't, you were talking about this with me earlier, but I don't love the way the music video style montages happen. Um, I think he picks good songs. I just think he's kind of like David O. Russell, where like they aren't as well cut as he thinks they are. And I know David O. Russell is far more on the nose, and I can't stand that about him. But right. um, I think like one of the better montages is when um, Michael Pena and him get 
like get on drugs and start doing like all this shit mm-hmm. um see like that's a scene where like i believe the violence it's like that was better executed for me but um i don't know i quite liked like right off the bat it's a montage of like the mall opening and its operation set to uh when i paint my masterpiece by the band that one was good was like, that's perfect yeah it's great I don't know if I would call it iconic, but just the mall cops on the escalator going down set to uh, I Saw the Man by, I think it's Pato. Mm-hmm. They're a European progressive rock band from the 70s. It's And it lasts like all of 15 seconds. And it's, you know, it's 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 a little more obvious than uh, when I paint my masterpiece. Well, OK, so like the one of them going down the escalators, like I think that could have been extended. And I hate saying like I think everything in this movie could have been extended, but like this is this is the rare case where I will say I maybe it's because I know that he works in television now and I think like his two considered like masterpieces are on television but like I think mm-hmm. I think this entire premise would be better served as a miniseries or like or like an extended I don't know maybe a 10 episode HBO show that only got one season. Here's my thing. Mm-hmm. And this is like this is my thing with like narrative art writ large in the culture not everything has to be fucking serialized it could just be 90 minutes long it could just be its own thing i don't disagree with you derek i love i love movies i wish a fucking series i wish all movies were like you know not super obscenely long i think i love the fact that this is an under 90 minute comedy it's so tight that said so tight that said I mean, and I'm not going to cite one of the, his two shows because I haven't actually seen them, but um, mm-hmm. this movie had me thinking about a different show that is also about a shitty person who, like, just kind of does shitty things on an episode-by-episode basis and, like, gets away with it. And, like, draws the people around him into doing those shitty things with him. And it's This a- reminded you of, hmm? of Curb? Well, no, it actually didn't. Uh, I mean, Curb <laughs> is... No, Curb is more... No, no, uh, <laughs> no. I think Curb and this are very different. Um, I think AP Bio is the show I'm gonna cite, uh, which also conveniently. I don't know features. what that is. What the hell is that? It's a really good NBC show that just had its first season end. I don't think it's gonna get renewed, but um, who knows? Uh, but uh, Colette Wolf, who plays uh, Nell, the woman with the cast, yeah, uh, she's in that for a few episodes. She's also in You're the Worst, which is one of my favorite shows. I know you're a fan of that. Um, yeah. On FX, everyone should watch. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> here promoting television. So AP Bio is like, it's structured in a way where every single episode, the main character who is this like dude who got fired from his job has to live in shitty Toledo and hates all of the people he's with because he's like an intellectual and he like is better than this place and all he wants to do is get revenge against this guy who's like successful instead of him and he like ropes all the people around him and getting revenge and each episode is like a different attempt at that and i think like bear with me on this this ride i'm about to take you on but like i think every single thing could have been its own episode like the skateboarders is an episode Mm -hmm. the shoplifter is an actually an ongoing arc within the series that like eventually culminates in the fact that like michael pena is revealed as the shoplifter which Patton oswald could have been an episode yeah Patton oswald could have been an episode the ride-along could have been an episode uh the pervert all right himself would have been like an arc sure 
But you could say that about most films because films are divided by beats. That's fair. I just think this movie would have been better suited to a television series. And I think... like I don't agree. <laughs> I don't know. I think like the reveal of his mental illness and like where that takes him. The psychologist's office would have been a perfect episode. I don't know. I mean, again, maybe I just can't help thinking that because I've been watching so much television lately and because... I know that like Jody Hill has become kind of like an expert at making these kind of characters for television. And I also just think this movie underserves most of its supporting cast. Well, let's see who comes out. Okay. Anna Faris comes out. Okay. Anna Faris always comes, comes out, okay. out. Okay. Because Anna Faris is a genius. Ray Liotta comes out. Okay. Because he has like the quote unquote, like media troll. Michael Pena gets a bit tr- shortchanged. I, I appreciate any opportunity when Michael Pena is playing something other than like token Latin character, but like I mean, I mean, isn't this exactly what he is? Yeah, sadly. I mean, he's a pro. I mean, I'm never gonna shit on Michael Pena for doing the work, but I feel like he got shortchanged here. He did, and so did Celia Weston. Honestly, outside of that last scene between the two of them on the bed, talking that was really good. Which like is really good, but even then, it ends kind of like on a punchline. And it's like as sad it's of a, a real punch dark punchline. Yeah, it. it's very dark. Punch as line, though. dark of a punchline as it is, it still ends on like a joke. I don't know if this movie thinks its punchlines. Like I, I think this movie thinks its punchlines are better than I think they are. Rather, that's a really weird way of saying that you didn't find this movie as funny as, as I think it thinks it is, which is the problem. <laughs> that's a very weird thing to say. No, it's I like think how, it's. I think. What's the yardstick you're measuring that against? I don't like, know. I think this is how you... funny I think the movie is, and this is how funny I think it is. No, but okay. <laughs> uh, it's hard to explain because, like, do you know sometimes you watch a movie? Well, I think you think this about Yorgos Lanthimos, and I think you think that he thinks he's funnier than he is, or I think you think that he's smarter than he actually. Like, I don't know. I just think that the movies are unfunny and fraudulent. But that's not a reflection of what I think your ghost Lanthimos is doing. That's just a reflection of me vis-a-vis his work. Okay, fair. Then I guess this is a reflection of me vis-a-vis Jody Hill's work. Okay. So you just didn't think it was that funny? <sighs> I guess. I guess. I just... Are you, ju- are you just trying to say that it had its moments? Yeah, it has its moments. I just don't think it hits any of the highs it thinks it's hitting <laughs> i know i know whatever i'm gonna keep fucking saying it um that's fair I yeah mean, i get what you mean i just think that it's kind of a this like weird stratification or this weird placement of you against the film no you're absolutely right you're <laughs> absolutely right um and i mean i know i shouldn't but you know it happens i mean i love watching shitty people do shitty things but i just i don't think the writing is as great in i think what is. you're looking for, i i mean I, i've known you for a while and i think what you look for in your shitty people doing shitty things is more more bon mots and wit and not just people going fuck you maybe probably yeah i guess so because i wouldn't describe anything in this movie as being sassy which is i don't i, think what I don't you, think i need which, sass i think you very much appreciate sass in your shitty people i don't like a know kind of a kind of um this is because this is not no one in this movie ha- embodies the kind of prickliness that I associate with the kind of movies you're referring to. Because people in those other movies that you like are prickly, but kind of in a neurotic way. But I don't think I just like those people. Like, these people I, are just fucking assholes. Well, no, I think I could have really... 
like I am into uh like Ronnie. I think he's an interesting character. I just don't think the I don't know. I just I guess I don't like the way the movie rolls with him. Um, I mean, that's fair. I yeah. mean, ultimately this ultimately I mean, there's no right or wrong way to <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I I probably sound more like critical than I actually am of the movie. I think it's a good movie. I just don't think it's it's like I think it could have been better. Okay. Yeah. If that's fair to continue on the game of like supporting cast, it's like I find one thing about Aziz Ansari really fascinating. Oh, let's talk about Aziz Ansari. Yeah. Um, it's like before we get into anything like excessive, I kind of find the way that like Aziz began as like always being interpreted as this, or not interpreted, presenting himself as like this generally shifty pervert in like literally right, every right. show and every movie towards like what he became which was not that the shifty pervert well no before the before the revelation okay. he went from shifty pervert to well respected auteur of the smooth r&b king of stand-up comedy back to shifty pervert no remember he went to like well respected auteur before back to shifty pervert because everyone fucking loved uh, and still loves like i still really do appreciate um this is master of none we're talking yeah um but like and i like the stand-up yeah but now we're back to shifty pervert it's like ah now i can't like now those records play a lot different though yeah yeah it's weird Like this performance plays a lot different yes it does it's really uncomfortable there is nothing more uncomfortable in this universe that we inhabit than aziz ansari's performance in this movie in retrospect yeah I don't know. Ugh. Yeah. Also, the scene where, like, Ronnie runs over and, like, punches him in the fucking mouth and, like, nothing. It's, like, I understand, like, the point of the movie is, like, nothing's gonna happen to this fucking guy. He's just gonna get his job back and shit's gonna go back to normal because, like, that's what happens to, like, deluded white men who have power problems. But, like, eh, whatever. Um, it was a... I didn't think it was especially funny or interesting to add that well, bit in there. well it's funny because they had beef earlier in the film right i but get they it had beef because you know it's it's thorny it's a very thorny film yeah i get i mean again, maybe it's just me looking at it through like a 2018 lens where like the things that should be funnier aren't so funny to me i mean that's i mean that's fair man you're a metamodernist we all are yeah um but um, I mean, uh, unless you have any specific notes, I do. I mean, I guess I have like a final <laughs> statement. I'd like to posit that this is the best Seth Rogen performance so far in his career. Oh, that's tough. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, he's not a bad actor. He definitely has a mode he works in. But I think this is a outside of that mode enough, and B kind of plays off what is immediately charming about him. If not the best, definitely top three. Okay, I think that's fair. I think top three would be definitely fair. I think... uh, I mean, like, I guess I'm biased into picking this one. And it's a supporting role, so, like, I don't... It's fair. um, But I would say um, Take This Waltz. But that's... Okay. And, yeah, I just... I really love Take This Waltz. And I also really like the guilt trip with him. Mm -hmm. Um... That's with uh, Barbara Streisand, right? Yeah, which I think is a completely underrated... Well, I'll get into that. I'm, I might actually recommend that later. Uh, <laughs> um, but no, I think Take This Waltz is just such a good good performance for him, even though it's really minor. And I know some people hated that movie, but like, 
I think he's really good in it. And I think everyone's really good in that movie. I think it's an excellent fucking movie. And it's also, I'm pretty sure, Canadian. Uh, that's a Sarah Polly joint, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I think that qualifies it as a Canadian yes, film. Yes, it is a Canadian drama. Um, <laughs> yeah, I fucking love Sarah Polly as a filmmaker. I love Michelle Williams uh, with all of my gay heart. It's like I would die for her. She's actually in a very good comedy. Or no, she's, she is very good in a very mediocre comedy this year. <laughs> JB, I don't want to be—I don't want to be a pedant, but you would not die for Michelle Williams. Um, <laughs> I'd consider it. Like all the like all of the other ones, really, that I I would cite are like other fart comedies. Yeah, but because you know, I mean, he's good in funny people. Minor. He's but... good in funny people. I mean, he's decent in like super bad or whatever. I mean, yeah. but he's just doing Seth Rogen, you know. So uh, you had a final point. So let's use that as a uh, as a jumping off point to. Close our discussion on observe and report. Um. So I saw a Letterboxd review that yeah. called it, and like you know, like some of this I won't disagree with. Some of it I like vehemently disagree with. It vehemently, vehemently. Uh, I don't know. A lot. Yeah, I don't know. I never know how to properly say that I, word. I disagree with this strongly. <laughs> um, I strongly disagree with yeah. this. Um. So it was said one of the most misunderstood undervalued politically driven and counter capitalist tragic comedies of the 21st century and like you know i can see how it's misunderstood definitely okay hold on let's yeah let's do this let's break it down word break by it word. down word by word definitely misunderstood yeah this this happened to me and it happened to a lot of people they basically got pranked into seeing the travis bickle mall cop yeah and that would like startle it startled me and i'm sure it was the same for because this movie was not what you would call a great success no well it made its money back and made 27 million dollars on an 18 million dollar budget okay but even then i think that ties into undervalued in that like it wasn't super well received at the time no it got mixed reviews which is yeah. why we're covering it exactly covering it here yeah um politically driven here's the thing like, if you're of the mind, which I am, that all movies are political in their own way, this is fine. Yes. This is a movie about the wrongheadedness of white people and the problematic aspects of the police, right? Yes. Of how, and vigilantism and, you know, entitlement in, in white men. I mean, that's pretty political. I think I would, so. I, I, I would agree with that. I would. I think that maybe we attribute more political weight to it 10 years later or nine years later than we would have then i mean because of cultural shifts i mean if you're not reassessing movies after cultural shifts yeah i mean you can look at movies in the culture they were made and in the culture they were and and our culture now but this is so close that it's practically the same that's fair it's only nine years apart yeah um counter capitalist i think having it in a mall is a good stroke but does and... that make it counter-capitalist <laughs> i mean, like it's like that's the one word i guess i take the most offense to i don't see how don't... this is counter-capitalist i don't know if this movie is anti-capitalist it isn't because i mean like is it counter-capitalist because like one they're giving this? away free coffee two no, 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 no. michael it's Pena not, gets it's... away with like robbing them all and like nobody cares I will say that Michael Pena getting away and that nobody cares is a nice kind of coda yeah. to this whole thing. But I think it's it's counter-capitalist or anti-capitalist if you consider, and it is true, that social status is capital. 
if you take into consideration that this is a white man who is a security guy who aspires to be a police officer and who basically goes through this entire movie unscathed, this entire pile of wreckage behind him, it's not just political, it's, it's anti-capitalist if you consider social capital because it shows that this horrible, horrible person, it's, it shows that we live in a system where a deplorable person who does deplorable actions like this is not held accountable and therefore the system is bad. Or guess. I mean, I, mean, that's what I, I already. It's like I think. I think this is what this person's getting at. I don't think it's like. Okay, I think that's. that's I don't think that's it's a good I don't interpretation it, of it. I think that's. A I good, don't think it's anti-capitalist because Seth Rogen gets free coffee. I think it's anti-capitalist because Seth Rogen is Seth Rogen in this movie. Yeah. As the character who operates in the existing structures. I think that's a good interpretation of it. I guess I just like it's like I live in America. I I already know this. <laughs> I mean, it's like but it I have Donald Trump in the again, White though, House. Right? I think I've seen what <laughs> I think I've seen but it, this story. I mean, it needs to be said and said again, though. I guess, right? I mean, because not everyone becomes, agrees. No, you're right. I just again, it becomes a game of like, do I think this movie said it as well as I I wanted it to say it or something? I don't know. Um, I mean, it's a it's a ninety minute studio comedy. You grade on a curve. Yeah. Um. But whatever. You know. Um. My so left, what you're saying is. So what you're saying is you agree with this review. <laughs> I guess so. Well, no, I, I don't mean, think I, it's one of the most. It's like it's like it's it's like I don't think I agree in those exact terms, but I fundamentally agree with the meat of that short ass review. Yeah, I guess so. Um also Anna Ferris saying physically yes, psychologically no. Psychologically no, that's is a great line. Literally one of the best line readings I've heard in like ages. Yeah, that was really solid. Excellent. Excellently done. So I think that about wraps it up. So I think it's time to go uh, to our final judgment segment where we judge finally. Yeah. So Juan, what did you think of Observe and Report? Um, I mean, again, I'm very mixed on this movie. I'm going to mm-hmm. give it like a like a hesitant fresh. Okay. Uh, no, because I do think it's a fresh movie. I just, I have a lot of hesitation with many things about it as we've heard mm-hmm. over the last I don't know how many minutes I think it's I think it's good it's fresh yeah I think it's worth watching this movie has aged really well in a really dark way yeah and it plays a lot better the second time around when you know what you're in for I am going to give it a fresh we agree hot dog go us so now we come to the recommendations portion of the show where we recommend a thing yeah uh, the movie that we will recommend either shares an actor a director or a year in genre together with this movie here in this case observe and report this was my uh suggestion so jb what have you got for us my recommendation is going to be a movie that i think i mean it was also very unfairly reviewed when it came out and i actually really really like this movie um it's directed by a woman who is ann fletcher um, Fletcher. Yeah, she's done a couple of other films. Um, among them, Twenty Seven Dresses, Step Up, which like mm-hmm. I think I'm like the only person who really. Well, that's not true. A lot of people really like Twenty Seven Dresses, and I'll stand by it. Um, but the movie is with Seth Rogen and Barbara Streisand, and it is called The Guilt Trip. <laughs> it's a pun. 
Uh, yes, yes, it is. Um, I will go to bat for this movie. It's okay. like I remember watching it. I was visiting Chicago, and I went to like an advanced screening of it, and I just thought it was so goddamn charming. And I think Seth Rogen and Barbara Streisand have so much chemistry. Uh, maybe if I watch it now, I won't think the same thing. But like, I really liked it when it came out, and it has a thirty-eight percent. And I think critics are wrong, as they tend to be. <laughs> Except for us, who are objectively <laughs> correct in our very subjective manner. Critics are in a constant state of being both right and wrong at the same time. Yes, they Correctness are. Correctness exists on a continuum. Hot dog. Anyway, what's your recommendation? I am going to recommend a Ray Liotta picture, and it's not the one that you think I'm going to recommend. Oh my. I'm sure it's not Goodfellas, because that's too obvious. Well, it's not Goodfellas, even though that's a fucking great movie. Uh, no, I'm going to recommend the 1986 Jonathan Demme picture, Something Wild. Yes. Uh, starring Melanie Griffith and Jeff Daniels and Ray Liotta, in, uh, who I believe is third build in this. It's so fucking funny. I believe that. so fucking good. It's uh, uh, Jeff Daniels is a tight ass, and basically Melanie Griffith plays one of the best inversions of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl I've ever seen in a film. The music kicks fucking ass. And it's just this vital American masterpiece of the 80s. I and, Ray Liotta, you. Mm. and Ray Liotta plays the heavy, and, that's, and he's super intense, and it's fucking awesome. The movie goes from, like, like, weird romantic comedy to drama in, like, a second. There's, like, a pivot point where it gets super serious. It's so good. Something wild. It sounds real good. I should totally watch it because I love Jonathan Demme. Yeah, that's a, that's a Criterion Collection joint, I Yes, think. it is. Uh, that was actually uh, Ray Liotta's second movie. Goddamn. So, uh, so enough about Ray Liotta. Let's talk about the next episode. It's your pick, and, well, I know what it is, but I want you to introduce it with, with gusto, with verve. Uh, we are going to do a queer film that I actually only saw a couple of years ago for the first time, and I was kind of expecting to not like it. Uh, but I really, really, really dug it. And it is William Friedkin's Cruising. What, what like driving? Like a, like a car? No, like fucking. Oh! Or not fucking, but like walking around and looking to fuck. If you, if you do it right, <laughs> then fucking. Yeah. Yeah. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Editor's note, I was playing dumb. I know what cruising is. I know. I believe you. <laughs> So you're not as dumb as you seem, straight person. <laughs> William Friedkin has made a bunch of my favorite movies. Same. Uh, he made uh, French Connection. He made To Live and Die in L.A., which I've recommended on a previous episode. He did Sorcerer, which is fucking amazing. Many people like The Exorcist. I have not seen it. so The Exorcist is very good. He also made Killer Joe and Bug. That's right. He had. He, he's he's having kind of a another moment. Uh, I have not seen Bug, but Killer Joe is a fucking hell of a movie. I mean, I I'll love. Say, I'll say that. I love both of those so much, and it's like Maddie Mac is so good in Killer Joe, though. I'm just a fucking sucker for like Tracy Letts's plays, and I think like Killer Joe and Bug are magnificent. Um, but Tracy Letts, the real the real five tool player, like actor, director, writer, husband to Carrie Coon. Husband to Carrie Coon, what's the fifth tool? <laughs> I don't know. Um, the the beard, the 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 kind of fantabulous bald 
uh, quaff he's got in Lady Bird. I mean, everything he does is great. Uh. <laughs> but we're not ta- we're not talking about that next time. We are talking about William Friedkin's Cruising. Yeah. From the year 1980. Juan and I run a website. It's called Dim the House Lights. You can uh, find it at dimthehouselights.com. There you'll find all manner of film-related writing by me, Juan, and other members of our small stable of writers, including Michelle Arf, Chris Mello, and Ross Burks. You can find my work. Uh, you can still find it at montrealschlockcity.com, but I have a .com now. All of my shit, everything, including the film stuff, you can find at derekgodine.com. It's a lot easier to spell. You can find Juan's work at the Miami New Times, both online and in print. You got any other place that I should be aware of? No. No? Uh, are you still doing Flaming Classics? Yes, I run a film series in Miami called Flaming Classics. Check your local listings in Miami, Florida for Flaming Classics events. They are on Sundays, and they are held at the Cosford Cinema. Yeah. They start at, what, 8 p.m.? Yeah. Is starting time? Okay. You can find both of us on Letterboxd and on Twitter. You can find me at both places at Derek underscore G. And you can find Juan at both places at Whoa, It's Juanito. That's W-O-A-H, It's Juanito, all one word. That was a little rough, but we got through it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Cool. See you, see you in two weeks, everybody. <laughs> see you, nerds.